been on vacation for a couple of weeks, so it's good to be back. Um, we, as Jay just said, there's a bunch of us out camping at a lake. My wife came back for church today. Um, I feel like I owe it to the pioneers not to camp because, you know, had, they had to camp for years to make their way to Oregon. I feel like it's my duty to stay in hotels from now on. So, any rate, but I'm sure they're having fun with all their BO and smokiness and mosquitoes and stuff. Today, we are actually waiting. That's just why I don't announce the camping trip. Did you notice that? I'm not a big selling point on that, all right? Today we're wading back into the waters of our teaching series about wisdom. We're actually making our way through the books of Ecclesiastes and Proverbs. They're ancient wisdom writings. And today we're almost getting to the end of Proverbs. We'll get there in about a week, maybe two weeks, and then we'll start what's really kind of punk rock wisdom that you find in the book of Ecclesiastes. But my message today is all about finding your gurus and dancing chimpanzees. And it'll make total sense to you as I make my way through this. Let's start with finding your gurus, okay? First of all, in the book of Proverbs, and I've said this before from the beginning of this series, wisdom is personified as a woman. And actually, it's personified as a very loud woman, a woman that's always yelling out to us, crying out to us, trying to get our attention, trying to instruct us on ways that we can live our most optimal, most selfless, most loving life, okay? Some people think that in order to attain this wisdom, you have to find a guru, a single guru, this really wise person that probably lives on a mountaintop somewhere or way out in the sticks somewhere, and you sit at the foot of this guru and soak up their pithy, wise statements and nuggets of truth. Please don't ever believe, don't ever believe that there is only one source of wisdom. Not true, okay? Wisdom is everywhere. It's calling out to you in many voices. It's emanating from all different kinds of sources. The book of Proverbs shows us this, actually, by how it's structured. Check this out. In Proverbs chapter 22, there's a section called the sayings of the wise. Now, most of the book of Proverbs, these little nuggets of wisdom, are put there by Solomon or written by himself and put there by Solomon, but not this section. This was just a random collection of wise sayings that were floating around in the culture at at the time, and somebody thought, hey, these are really good, and they wrote them down, and they somehow made the Bible. We're not even exactly sure how. And then in chapter 24 there's a section called further sayings of the wise. So this is like the extended cut of these wise sayings. They thought, well, we left some out, and so we're going to add those in here now. And these are interesting because they resemble, and they probably borrowed from another book of wisdom from another culture, a Greek book of wisdom called the writings of Amenemope. I said that. I had to practice that all week long, okay? The writings of Amenemope. Then in chapter 30, there are some nuggets of wisdom some dude named Agur wrote down. We don't know anything about Agur. He could have been a troll under a bridge. We have no idea. All we know is that in the writings, he claims that he's not a very wise person, and he doesn't even know God very well. And yet, Obviously, he does know God pretty well, and he is pretty wise, because when you read through the writings in that chapter, they are dripping with divine wisdom. And then in chapter 31, it's a collection of wisdom from King Lemuel. Again, we hardly know anything about him, but we do know that some of his proverbs of wisdom are written in Aramaic, 
which is a completely different culture than Solomon was a part of at this time. All this to say that the structure of the book of Proverbs itself tells us that wisdom comes to us from many sources and has many voices. So the question for all of us today is, what are my sources of wisdom? In other words, who are my gurus? I want a list. There's a lot of great gurus out in the world right now. I'm going to give you just a few today, and you'll find more. God will show you more. Here's the first one. This is a surprising one. Ants. Yeah, like the bugs. Let's read out of Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6, can we? I'll pop this up on the screen. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer, no ruler... And next slide, yet it stores its provision in summer and gathers its food at harvest. We can gain, we can attain so much wisdom just by observing bugs and insects and animals, can't we? We can learn the thriftiness and hard work we need in our life by looking at ants. We can learn loyalty by watching our dogs, not our cats, but our dogs, okay? We can learn this strong sense of community by observing whistle pigs. We really can. Nature makes a great guru for us. The second guru is this, musicians. Have you ever been driving around in your car or at home and you're bebopping to your favorite song and just having fun with the melody and then it dawns on you, the lyrics to the song, it's amazing. It's full of truth and wisdom. That's why we have a quote by Bob Dylan just around the corner on a plaque there because it contains so much wisdom. This week I was listening to a song by Hosier. I think it was Nina Cry's Power, and there was this line that I came across, and it just stunned me. It's not the wake. It's actually supposed to say um, waking. It's not the waking. It's the rising. It's the grounding of a foot uncompromising. And I heard that lyric and I thought, yeah, that is wisdom for us. It's not enough just to have beliefs. We have to put our beliefs in actions. Musicians make great gurus. And then, of course, there's wise people. There are wise people that make great gurus. Sometimes that wise person is a a counselor. Sometimes that wise person in your life is maybe a pastor. Maybe the, the wise people that God brings into your life come in the form of your friends. Many of us have that one friend that we go to that has this knack for saying just the right thing at just the right time in our life. So we have this aha moment and we know exactly what we're supposed to do next. Sometimes God will bring wise people into your life that aren't very old. Look at this quote from a six-year-old girl. A six-year-old girl said this. Love is when you're missing some of your teeth but you're not afraid to smile because you know that your friends will still love you even though some of you is missing. And I read that and I thought, this is wisdom that's coming to us from a wise person. She just happens to be only six years old. Then there are poets. Poets, I don't know if you like poetry. I really like poetry. One of my favorite poets is an ancient mystic that I've quoted in many of my uh, sermons here. His name is Rumi. And he said this. I've never used this in a message. Look what he says. Oh my gosh. There is a secret medicine given only to those who hurt so badly they can't hope. The hopers would feel slighted if they knew. Just let that one sink in on you, okay? It'll hit you later. That is so good. That is so much wisdom. Poets make great gurus. Go and Google Maya Angelou tonight if you want to. Have a good time reading her quotes. The next one is authors. I read a lot. Most of you know that. Sorry, my throat's getting a little dry. I read probably more than any of us in here, I'm I'm guessing. I read all the time. And I'm constantly amazed 
at the nuggets of wisdom I find in books. And I don't just read quote-unquote Christian books. I read theology books. I read autobiographies. I read historical books. I I read comedies. I read teen fiction, okay? I read just about everything, okay? I'm not ashamed to admit it, all right? I read and read and read. Listen to some of the nuggets of wisdom I came across in some books. Number one, be the one on whom nothing is lost. Let me say that again. Be the one on whom nothing is lost. That's wisdom for us. It's saying, wake up. Be in the here. Be in the now. Be aware of the goodness that's flowing into your life from God. Don't let it be lost on you. Number two, any hush is a hush, and a hush is usually sacred. That is such wisdom for us. We think we're going to gain all of our wisdom through talking, and we gain a lot of it that way, but we gain so much wisdom in silence by simply being quiet and contemplating the presence of God and listening to Him speak to our heart. Hushes, moments of silence are sacred. And here's one you'll love. Death is not the enemy. Snakes are and cheese, (laughs) okay? Oh, I just love that line, okay? To me, that's wisdom because I'm lactose intolerant. So death isn't the enemy. Snakes are and cheese. Sixth guru, pain. So much of the wisdom you're going to garner in your life will come to you through the vehicle of pain. I hate to say that, but it's true. Sometimes the voice of wisdom will speak to you through pain saying, Oh my goodness, that decision you just made was a cosmically bad decision. And it not only hurt you, it hurt all the people around you. So note to self, next time you're tempted to do that, don't do it. That's wisdom, speaking to us through the pain that we cause by ourselves. Other times, wisdom will speak to us through the vehicle of pain by saying, listen, your life hurts right now. I get it, but take heart. Because God is rebuilding you. He's actually going to use the rubble of your broken life right now to rebuild you into something more beautiful than you could ever imagine. Wisdom speaks to us through pain, and it's a great guru because it's hard to ignore. Author Anne Lamott said something about this. I'll pop this up on the screen too. Almost every facet of my meager maturation and spiritual understanding has sprung from hurt, loss and disaster. What she's saying is, most of the wisdom I've attained in my life has come through the vehicle of pain. And lastly, the last guru is an obvious one, it's God. Actually, God is the source of all wisdom. If something's wise, it has its source in God. And that's why the Apostle Paul, when he was writing a letter to a church like ours in Rome, said this. They're very poetic words. He said, oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. God is the greatest guru of all. So remember, wisdom is out there. It's calling to us, speaking to us from so many sources. Don't limit yourself, especially if you've known the Lord for a while and you think, oh, I can only get wisdom from Christian sources. No, the whole world is full of gurus. You can get wisdom from all kinds of sources, and God will help you locate your gurus. Now let's get to dancing chimpanzees, and I'll talk about chimps in a minute. But first, let me say this. People I'm noticing right now desperately need to hear good news because the world seems so full, more full than I can remember in my lifetime of bad news. With that in mind, listen to this proverb. This is out of Proverbs chapter 25, verses 25. Like cold water to a weary soul is good news from a distant land. 
Oh my goodness, good news is so refreshing. It's like cold water to a weary soul. I want to tell you a specific time in my life I can remember desperately wanting to hear good news, and I didn't. So I was like this thirsty, weary soul that didn't get refreshed. And actually came at the end of a Mexico mission trip. My wife goes to Mexico every year. In fact, we're going this year. We go every year as a church um, to different locations. But I went with my wife, and we camped, and it's about an hour and a half south of Mexicali. And I'd never been before, and I had a blast. We built houses and met people and had parties, and it was deeply moving. It was also exhausting. You're just working all day, and it's hot. It's hot in Mexico, okay? And I can remember driving home, and we, it took two days to get home, and we finally got to Redding, which is one of the two towns that are like the boil on the buttocks of California, okay? I don't even like to drive through Redding, let alone stay there for the night. But we stayed there for the night, and I can remember we checked in the motel, and I won't tell you which one it is. Um, you'll probably figure it out. But we checked in the motel, and I thought, all I want... I, I just want to go into my room, and I want to sleep, but most of all, I want to take a shower because it was hot and sticky, and I reeked, and I just wanted a shower. And so I, we walked into the room. I remember getting the key, and my wife remembers too, I'm sure. And I opened the door, and our family, our kids were with us, and this wave of noxious odor just made its way through my olfactory system, just pungent horrible smells. And instantly, because I'm a bit of a germaphobe, most of you know that about me, my mind started racing with thoughts of, of bed bugs and bodily fluids. I was just sure if you took a bl- like a black light and shone it in the room, it would light up like the 4th of July. So I thought in my mind, I'm not going to get much sleep, but okay, I can deal with it. I might even just sleep on the floor because who knows what's been on that bed, okay? So I might just sleep, but at least I can take a shower. So I go into the shower there's no towels. There's no towels. And so I go to the office thinking, okay, they must have forgot. And I go to the office and she goes, oh, it's spring break. We've been busy. We're out of towels. You're out of towels. Isn't that like job one of a hotel? First thing you do in the morning, wash the towels. Second thing you do, wash more towels, okay? You just, that's what you do. And she goes, I don't have any towels to give you, but here, use these. And she handed me bath mats, bath mats. Okay, to a germaphobe, you know what a bath mat is? It's that mat you put outside the shower and you wipe all your foot funk on, okay? And I go, you want me to dry off with, with a bath mat? Oh my gosh. I so desperately wanted to hear good news. I just wanted to get into that hotel and check in and say, oh my gosh, welcome to this hotel. We just finished sterilizing and sanitizing your room. And here's some extra fluffy white towels right out of the dryer, okay? That's what I wanted to hear. I heard something far less than that. As followers of Jesus, we have this amazing opportunity. It's a privilege, really. We get to offer people good news, news that's so good it refreshes them down to a core, to a soul level. But oftentimes, people come into churches and they're expecting to receive this good news, and they desperately need to hear it, and they receive news that's labeled good, but it's a long way from that. Let me give you an example. It goes something like this usually. In the beginning, God created us, but we screwed things up right off the bat. We were completely born sinners, and so we not only polluted our own lives with sin, we polluted the rest of the world with sin, and God, it's, it's fortunate that God wanted anything to do with us. He should have probably just turned us into a grease spot on the carpet, but instead, He loved us anyway. If 
we choose to believe the right things and say the right things and do the right things and pray the right things. Then we'll be good, unless we're not, unless we slip up and then God turns on us and bad things start happening in our life, which caused one pastor to say to a couple that just tragically lost their child, who sinned, you or your wife, that caused this to happen? Yeah, that kind of news, okay? It's so much pressure, this version of the good news. It's so much pressure. That's why many of us prayed what's that magic prayer called the sinner's prayer where we invite Jesus into our heart, even though that prayer is not in the Bible. But we made it up and we prayed all the time anyway. And most of us prayed it about 17 to 20 times. Jesus, come into my heart. And then the next day, I'm not sure he's in there. So Jesus, come into my heart. And we pray that about 70 to 20 times to make sure we're on God's good side, that we appease him, that we make him happy with our performance so bad things won't happen in our life. I knew of one guy that even, some churches have like new visitor cards in the back of their chairs or pews, and every time he went to church, he filled out a new visitor's card. He goes, I just want to make sure I'm on the in crowd. I just want to make sure I'm on God's good side, and so I'm leaving God a paper trail in case he needs that to locate me, okay? So in this version of the good news, we are awful, sin-saturated reprobates right out of the chute But if we pray the right things, do the right things, say the right things, and most of all, believe the right things, we'll be okay. In other words, if we don't drink or dance or cuss or chew or get tattoos, okay, if we don't have any fun, if we don't have any fun whatsoever in this life, we'll be good to go. But if not, we're screwed probably for all of eternity. And the goal of this life is just to lay low. This life's like a waiting room. Just lay low with the hope that things will be better in the next life. I don't know about you, but as I started thinking about this, and you're thinking I'm exaggerating, some of you have heard worse versions than this, okay? I'm telling you, I don't know about you, but this doesn't sound like good news at all, and that's because it's not. It's news that fills you with guilt and shame and remorse and the dread of God. When you hear this version of the good news, you're instantly dreading God. That's not good. If good news doesn't sound good, it means it's not good. So what is the good news? That's a great question, okay? And the bad news, by the way, the reason I told you the story about the hotel, the bad news, the version of bad news, is like going into a church, and it's the same as going to that hotel and being handed, it's the spiritual equivalent of being handed a bath mat and saying, here, this will do, okay? And we receive it and go, okay, it must be good. They're the boss. They work here, okay? No. So what is the good news? Great question. Here's the version I see unfolding in the scripture. It starts the same as the other story, but it's drastically different. In the beginning was God, and God was this never-ending relationship of self-giving and love between Father, Son, and Spirit, which is the word ruach. It's a female word. So between Father, Son, and Mother, God was like the original family or the original community of oneness. And God was so bursting with love He created us so he'd have even more opportunities to love. And sure, we messed things up, paradise lost, so to speak. But that didn't surprise God, and it didn't didn't make him mad, okay? And it didn't even slow him down. He just kept on loving us because he's like that. And we needed forgiveness, and God gave it to us. And he constantly gives us forgiveness because he's like that too. And then somehow God squeezed all of his godness into a human meat suit, and he came to live on earth with us because he wanted to be that intimate with us. And he went about 
crying out against the religious and political systems that were oppressing and damaging people. And that led to him eventually being killed as an enemy of the state. But then he rose again from the grave, triumphing over these awful systems that oppress people and triumphing over the ultimate oppressor, death. And now God is in the business of reconciliation. He's reconciling us to himself restoring that relationship. He's reconciling us to one another in community and unity. He's reconciling us to ourselves, to our true selves. He's even reconciling us to creation, having a good relationship with the world around us. He is fulfilling the words that Jesus prayed when Jesus famously prayed these words, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, what is God doing right now? He's introducing to the world that is the world as it should be. That's what he's doing, all right? And this is where it gets really good. This is where we come in. God is looking for partners. He wants us to partner with him in this reconciliation project, this revolution of love. We get to help people, check this out, we get to actually help people wake up to the reality and nearness of God this God that's bigger than we can imagine, this God that is way bigger than we're comfortable with, this God that is better than we could hope for, this God that's deeper than we could fall, this God that's closer than our next breath. That's what we get to do. And it gets better. We don't have to walk on eggshells around this God. We don't have to live in fear that one day we'll do something so bad that it horrifies God and God goes, that's it. I've reached my limit of forgiveness and love on you. You're out of here, and then he'll reject and abandon us. No, he's not that fickle. He's sticky. He's faithful. I was reading an autobiography by a, a, a comic, a famous stand-up comic, and I can't tell you who it is because it is R-rated, but it's really good, okay? I'll tell some of you later. But I in the book, he has this revelation of what God's love is like in his life. You would never guess this guy's a Christian by um, listening to a stand-up, okay? But he says this. He goes, there is nothing I can do to bring me closer or further from the infinite love of God. I hope you can hear those words for yourself. It's not about our performance. There's nothing you can do to move you farther away from God or closer to God. He loves you intimately and infinitely right now. God is for us. Now that's some good news. Get you some of that. And that brings us to how I'm going to close this message, dancing chimpanzees. Some of you are old enough to remember a scientist named Jane Goodall. Um, she was a bit of a gorilla whisperer. She wrote the book Gorillas in Our Midst. And if you, you can Google her and watch some of her stuff. And she's, she's kind of an odd duck. And she just studied. She was out in the wild a lot, maybe a little too much. But she studied gorillas and chimpanzees. And there was this one scene when she was being interviewed. She recalls this one scene where she was watching a group of um, young male chimpanzees. And they broke away from the pack and they started walking walking up this river to a place they'd never been before. She'd studied them since birth, and this is the first time they went up this path. They walked up this river for quite a while, and then they rounded a sharp corner, and in front of them was this magnificent, majestic, beautiful, awe-inspiring waterfall. And they got around the corner, and they all froze. 
Every single one of them froze, and they stood there for the longest time just looking at this waterfall in awe and wonder. And then in one accord, like chimpanzees are famous for doing, they all lifted their hands above their head and started dancing with this reckless abandon because they were so full of joy at what they were looking at. And I thought about that for us. I thought every once in a while, we should just meditate on the goodness of God. We should stand before God in silent awe and wonder, like Psalm 105 says, remember the wonders he has done. And then after we stood there for the longest time, just soaking in God's goodness, just basking in it, we should raise our hand. If you're afraid of dancing in public like I am, do it by yourself. It's okay. All right. Just raise your hands above your head and dance like a chimpanzee seeing a waterfall for the first time because we have good news. We don't have okay news. We don't have average news. We don't have mediocre news. We have good news that's worth celebrating, all right? Can I get an amen for that? I think that deserves like an amen. Why don't you bow your heads with me and let's close and you can enjoy the rest of this gorgeous day. Let me pray for us. Thank you, God, that wisdom is everywhere. It's calling out to us from so many sources. Help us today, Lord, to start locating our gurus. Help us not to limit ourselves because you'll give us wisdom from the most surprising places, Lord. And thank you because we need it. We need to know the next right thing to do in our lives. And Lord, the world has plenty of bad news right now. It needs more good news. May we be the people who know it, who live it, and who give it to others. And may we ourselves bask in that good news and celebrate it like a dancing chimpanzee. We love you, Lord, so much. In your name we pray these things. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. Have a glorious rest of your week. We'll see you here next week as we continue to make our way through the book of Proverbs. God bless.